0: Section 13 of City of Endless Night by Milo Hastings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter 11 In Which The Talking Delegate Is Answered By The Royal Voice, And I Learn That Labor Knows Not God. Part 1 i had delayed in speaking to grauble of our revolutionary plans because i wished first to arrange a meeting with zimmern and heller and to secure the weight of their calmer minds in initiating grauble into our plans of sending a message to the world state authorities i was prevented from doing this immediately by difficulties in the protium works meanwhile unbeknown to me the sailing date of grauble's vessel was advanced and he departed to the arctic although my position as director of the protium works had been more of an honor than an assignment of active duties i made it my business to assume the maximum rather than the minimum of the functions of the office as i wished to learn more of the labor situation in berlin of which as yet i had no comprehensive understanding in a general way i understood that german labor differed not only in being eugenically created as a distinct breed but that the labor group was also a very distinct caste economically and politically the laborer being denied access to the level of free women had no need for money or bank credit in any form this seemed to me to reduce him to a condition of pure slavery since he received no pay for his services other than the bare maintenance supplied by the state because of this evidence of economic inferiority i had at first supposed that labor was in every way an inferior caste But in this I had been gravely mistaken, nor had I been able to comprehend my error until this brewing labor trouble revealed in concrete form the political superiority of labor. In my failure to comprehend the true state of affairs, I had been a little stupid, for the political basis of German society is revealed to the seeing eye in the Hohenzollern eagle emblazoned on the red flag the emblem of the rule of labor historically i believe this belies the origin of the red flag for it was first used as the emblem of democratic socialism a nineteenth-century theory of a social order in which all social and economic classes were to be blended into a true democracy differing somewhat in its economic organization but essentially the same politically as the true democracy which we have achieved in the world state but with the bolshevist regime in russia after the first world war the red flag was appropriated as the emblem of the political supremacy and rule of the proletariat or labor class i make these references to bygone history because they throw light on the peculiar status of the german labor caste which is possessed of political superiority combined with social and economic inferiority it was the bolshevist brand of socialism that finally overran germany in the era of loose and ineffective rule of the world by the league of nations though i make no pretence of being an accurate authority on history the league of nations if i remember rightly was humanity's first timid conception of the world state rather weakly born it was promptly emasculated by the rise in america of a political party founded on the ideas of a great national hero who had just died the obstructionist policy of this party was inherent in its origin for it was inspired and held together by the ideas of a dead man whose followers could only repeat as their test of faith a phrase that has come down to us as an idiom what would he do he being dead could do nothing neither could he change his mind But having left an indelible record of his ideas by the strenuous verbiage of his virile and inspiring rhetoric, there was no room for doubt, as in all political and religious faiths founded on the ideas of dead heroes, this made for solidarity and power, and quite prevented any adaptation of the form of government to the needs of the world that had arisen since his demise i have digressed here from my theme of the political status of the german labor caste but it is fascinating to trace things to their origin to find the links of the chain of cause and effect so if i have read my history aright the emasculation of the league of nations by the american obstructionists caused or at least permitted the rise and dominance of the bolshevists in twentieth century germany had the germans been democrats at heart the pendulum would have swung back as it did with other peoples and been stayed at the point of equilibrium which we recognized as the stable mean of democracy but in the old days before the modern intermingling of the races it seems that there were certain tastes that had become instinctive in racial groups thus just as the german stomach craved the rich flavour of sausage so the german mind craved the dazzling show of royal flummery had it not been for this the first world war could have never been for the socialists of that time were bitterly opposed to war and germany was the world's greatest stronghold of socialism yet when their beloved imperial poser william the great called for war The German socialists, with the exception of a few whom they afterwards murdered, went forth to war almost without protest. When I first began to hear of the political rights of labor, I went to my friend Heller and asked for an explanation. Is not the chain of authority absolute? I asked, up through the industrial organization, direct to the emperor, and so to God Himself. But, said Heller, the workers do not believe in God. What? i stammered workers not believe in god it is impossible have not the workers simple trusting minds certainly said heller it is the natural mind of man scepticism which is the basis of scientific reasoning is an artificial thing first created in the world under the competitive economic order when it became essential to self-preservation in a world of trade based on deceit in our new order we have had difficulty in maintaining enough of it for scientific purposes even in the intellectual classes there is no skepticism among the laborers now i assure you they believe as easily as they breathe then how i demanded in amazement does it come that they do not believe in god because said heller they have never heard of god the laborer does not know of god because we have restored god since the perfection of our caste system and hence it was easy to promulgate the idea among the intellectuals and not among the workers it was necessary to restore god for the intellectuals in order to give them greater respect for the power of the royal house but the laborers need no god because they believe themselves to be the source from which the royal house derives its right to rule they believe the emperor to be their own servant ruling by their permission the emperor a servant to labour i exclaimed this is absurd certainly said heller why should it be otherwise we are an absurd people because we have always laughed at the wrong things still this principle is very old and has not always been confined to the germans after the revolutions in the twentieth century the american plutocrats employed poverty-stricken european nobility for servants and exalted them to high stations and obeyed them explicitly in all social matters with which their service was concerned the laborers restored william the third because they wished to have an exalted servant he led them to war and became a hero he reorganized the state and became their political servant also their emperor and their tyrant it is not an impossible relation for it is not unlike the relation between the mother and the child or between a man and his mistress and yet it is different more formal with functions better defined the emperor is the administrative head of the government and we intellectuals are merely his hirelings We are merely the feathers of the royal eagle. Our color is black. We have no part in the red blood of human brotherhood. We are outcasts from the socialistic labor world, for we receive money compensation to which laborers would not stoop. But labor owns the state. This roof of Berlin over our heads and all that is therein contained is the property of the workers who produced it i shook my head in mute admission of my lack of comprehension and who asked heller did you think owned berlin i confessed that i had never thought of that few of our intellectual class have ever thought of that replied heller unless they are well read in political history but at the time of the hohenzollern restoration labor owned all property in true communal ownership they did not release it to the royal house but merely turned over the administration of the property to the emperor as an agent. These belated explanations of the fundamental ideas of German society quite confused and confounded me, though Heller seemed in no wise surprised at my ignorance, since, as a chemist, I had originally been supposed to know only of atoms and balances and such-like matters. Seeking a way out of these contradictions, I asked, how is it then that labour is so powerless since you say that it owns the state and even the emperor rules by its permission napoleon have you ever heard of him yes i admitted and then recalling my role as a german chemist i hastened to add napoleon was a directing chemist who achieved a plan for increasing the food supply in his day by establishing the sugar beet industry is that so exclaimed heller i didn't know that i thought he was only an emperor anyway napoleon said that if you tell men they are equal you can do as you please with them so when william the third was elected to the throne by labour he insisted that they retain the power and re-elect him every five years he was very popular because he invented the armoured city our new berlin some day i will tell you of that and so of course he was re-elected and his son after him though most of the intellectuals do not know that it exists the ceremony of election is a great occasion on the labor levels the emperor speaks all day through the horns and on the picture screens the workers think he is actually speaking though of course it is a collection of old films and records of the royal voice when they have seen and heard the speeches the laborers vote and then go back to their work and are very happy but suppose they should sometime fail to re-elect him no danger said heller there is only one name on the ballot and the ballots are dumped into the paper mill without inspection most extraordinary i exclaimed most ordinary contradicted heller it is not even an exclusively german institution we have merely perfected it voting everywhere is a very useful device in organized government in the cruder form used in democracies there were two or more candidates it usually made little difference which was elected but the system was imperfect because the voters who voted for the candidate which lost were not pleased then there was the trouble of counting ballots we avoid all this it is all very interesting i said "'But who is the real authority?' "'Ah,' said Heller, "'this matter of authority is one of our most subtle conceptions. The weakness of ancient governments was in the fact that the line of authority was broken. It came somewhere to an end. But now authority flows up from labour to the emperor, and then descends again to labour through the administrative line of which we are one link. It is an unbroken circuit.' But I was still unsatisfied, for it annoyed me not to be able to understand the system of German politics, as I had always prided myself that, for a scientist, I understood politics remarkably well. Part two. I had gone to Heller for enlightenment because I was gravely alarmed over the rumors of a strike among the laborers in the petroleum works. I had read in the outside world of the murder and destruction of these former civil wars of industry. With a working population so cruelly held to the treadmill of industrial bondage, the idea of a strike conjured up in my fancy the beginning of a bloody revolution. With so vast a population so utterly dependent upon the orderly processes of industry, the possible terrors of an industrial revolution were horrible beyond imagining, and for the moment all thoughts of escape, or of my own plans for negotiating the surrender of Berlin to the world state, were swept aside by the stern responsibilities that devolved upon me as the director of works wherein a terrible strike seemed brewing. The first rumour of the strike of the labourers in the protium works had come to me from the listening-in service. Since Berlin was too complicated and congested a spot for wireless communication to be practical, the electrical conduct of sound was by antiquated means of metal wires the workers free speech halls were all provided with receiving horns by which they made their appeals to his majesty of which i shall speak presently these instruments were provided with cut-offs in the halls they had been so designed by the electrical engineers who were of the intellectual caste that not even the workers who installed and repaired them knew that the cut-offs were blind, and that the listening-in service heard every word that was said at their secret meetings, when all but workers were, by law and custom, excluded from the halls. And so the report came to me that the workers were threatening strike. Their grievance came about in this fashion my new process had reduced the number of men needed in the works this would require that some of the men be transferred to other industries but the transfer was a slow process as all the workers would have to be examined anatomically and their psychic reflexes tested by the labor assignment experts and those selected retrained for their labor that work was proceeding slowly for there was a shortage of experts, because some similar need of transfers existed in one of the metal industries. Moreover, my labor psychologist considered it dangerous to transfer too many men, as they were creatures of habit, and he advised that we ought merely to cease to take on new workers, but wait for old age and death to reduce the number of our men, meanwhile retaining the use of the old extraction process in part of the works impossible i replied unless you would have your rations cut and the city put on a starvation diet do you not know that the reserve store of protium that was once enough to last eight years is now reduced to less than as many months supply that is none of my affair said the labour psychologist these chemical matters i do not comprehend but i advise against these transfers for our workers are already in a furor about the change of operations in the work but i protested the new operations are easier than the old besides we can cut down the speed of operations which ought to help you take care of these surplus men pardon herr chief returned the elderly labour psychologist you are a great chemist a very great chemist for your invention has upset the labor operation more than has anything that ever happened in my long experience but i fear you do not realize how necessary it is to go slow in these matters you ask men who have always opened a faucet from left to right to now open one that opens in a vertical plane here i will show you move your arm so do you not see that it takes different muscles yes of course but what of it the solution flows faster and the operation is easier it is easy for you to say that for you or me it would make no difference since our muscles have all been developed indiscriminately but what are your labour gymnasiums for if not to develop all muscles no do not misunderstand me i serve as an interpreter between the minds of the workers and your mind as director of the works as for the muscles developed in the gymnasium those were developed for sport not for labour but that is not the worst of it you have designed the new benches so low that the mixers must stoop at their work it is very painful good god i cried what became of the stools the mixers are to sit down i ordered two thousand stools that i know herr chief but the equipment expert consulted me about the matter and i countermanded the order it would never do i did not consult you it is true but that was merely a kindness i did not wish to expose your lack of knowledge if i may call it such call it what you please i snapped for at the time i thought my labour psychologist was a fool but get those stools immediately but it would never do why not because these men have always stood at their work but why can they not sit down now because they never have sat down do they not sit down to eat yes but not to work it is very different you do not understand the psychic immobility of labor. Habits grow stronger as the mentality is simplified. I have heard that there are animals in the zoological garden that still perform useless operations that their remote ancestors required in their jungle life. Then do you infer that these men who must stand at their work inherited the idea from their ancestors?' that is a matter of eugenics i do not know but i do know that we are preparing for trouble with these changes still i hope to work it out without serious difficulty if you do not insist on these transfers when workmen have already been forced to change their habitual method of work and then see their fellows being removed to other and still stranger work it breeds dangerous unrest one thing is certain i replied we cannot delay the installation of the new method as fast as the equipment is ready the new operation must replace the old but the effect of that policy will be that there will not be enough work and besides the work is as you say lighter and that will result in the cutting down of the food rations but i have already arranged that i said triumphantly the rationing bureau have adjusted the calorie standards so that the men will get as much food as they have been used to what you've done that exclaimed the labour psychologist then there will be trouble that will destroy the balance of the food supply and the expenditure of muscular energy and the men will get fat then the other men will accuse them of stealing food and we will have bloodshed a moment ago i smiled you told me i did not know your business now i will tell you that you do not know mine we ordered special food bulked up in volume the scheme is working nicely you need not worry about that as for the other matter this surplus of men it seems to me that the only thing is to cut down the working hours temporarily until the transfers can be made the psychologist shook his head it is dangerous he said very unusual i advise instead that you have the operation engineers go over the processes and involve the operations both to make them more nearly resemble the old ones and to aid to the time and energy consumption of the tasks no i said emphatically i invented a more economical process for this industry and i do not propose to see my invention prostituted in this fashion i appreciate your advice but if we cannot transfer the workers any faster then the labor hours must be cut. I will issue the order tomorrow. This is my final decision. I was in authority, and that settled the matter. The psychologist was very decent about it, and helped me fix up a speech, and that next night the workers were ordered to assemble in their halls, and I made my speech into a transmitting horn. I told them that they had been especially honored by their emperor, who appreciating their valuable service had granted them a part time vacation, and that until further notice, their six hour shifts were to be cut to four. I further told them that their rations would not be reduced and advised them to take enough extra exercise in the gymnasium to offset their shorter hours so they would not get fat and be the envy of their fellows. Part three. For a time the workers seemed greatly pleased with their shorter hours, and then from the listening-in service came the rumor of the strike. The first report of the strike gave me no clue to the grievance, and I asked for fuller report. When this came the next day i was shocked beyond belief if i had anticipated anything in that interval of terror it was that my workers were to strike because their communications had been shut off or that they were to strike in sympathy with their fellows and demand that all hours be shortened like their own but the grievance was not that my men were to go on strike for the simple reason that their hours had been shortened the catastrophe once started came with a rush for when i reached the office the next day the psychologist was awaiting me and told me that the strike was on i rushed out immediately and went down to the works the psychologist followed me as i entered the great industrial laboratories i saw all the men at their usual places and going through their usual operations i turned to my companion who was just coming up and said what do you mean i thought you told me the strike was on that the men had already walked out what do you mean by walked out he returned as puzzled as i walked out of the works i explained away from their duties quit work struck but they have struck perhaps you've never seen a strike before but do you not see the strike badges and then i looked and saw that every workman wore a tiny red flag and the flag bore no imperial eagle it means i gasped that they have renounced the rule of the royal house this is not a strike this is rebellion treason it is the custom said the labor psychologist and as for rebellion and treason that you speak of i hardly think you ought to call it that for rebellion and treason are forbidden then just what does it mean it means that this particular group of workers have temporarily withdrawn their allegiance to the royal house and they have in their own minds restored the old socialist regime until they can make petition to the emperor and he passes on their grievance they will do that in their halls tonight we of course will be connected up and listen in then they are not really on strike certainly they are on strike all strikes are conducted so then why do they not quit work but why should they quit work they are striking because their hours are already too short pardon herr chief but i warned you i think i know what you mean he added after a pause you have probably read some fiction of old times when the workers went on strike by quitting work yes exactly i suppose that is where i did get my ideas and that is now forbidden by the emperor not by the emperor for you see these men wear the flags without the eagle they at present do not acknowledge his authority then all this strike is a matter of red bandages without eagles and everything else will go on as usual by no means these men are striking against the descending authority from the royal house they not only refuse to wear the eagle until their grievance is adjusted but they will refuse to accept further education for that is a thing that descends from above if you will go now to the picture halls where the other shift should be you will find the halls all empty the men refuse to go to the moving pictures that night we listened in a bull-throated fellow whom i learned was the talking delegate addressed the emperor and much to my surprise, I thought I heard the Emperor's own voice in reply, stating that he was ready to hear their grievance. Then the bull voice of the talking delegate gave the reason for the strike. The Director of the Works, speaking for your Majesty, has granted us a part-time vacation, and shortened our hours from six to four. We thank you for this honour, but we have decided we do not like it. We do not know what to do during those extra two hours we had our games and amusements but we had our regular hours for them if we play longer we become tired of play if we sleep longer we cannot sleep as well moreover we are losing our appetite and some of us are afraid to eat all our portions for fear we will become fat so we have decided that we do not like a four-hour day and we have therefore taken the eagles off our flags and will refuse to replace them or go to the educational pictures until our hours are restored to the six-hour day that we have always had and now the emperor's voice replied that he would take the matter under consideration and report his decision in three days and that meanwhile he knew he could trust them to conduct themselves as good socialists who were on strike and hence needed no king the next day the psychologist brought a representative of the information staff to my office and together we wrote the reply that the emperor was to make it would be necessary to concede them the full six hours and introduce the system of complicating the labour operations to make more work much chagrined i gave in and called in the motion study engineers and set them to the task meanwhile the royal voice was sent for and coached in the emperor's reply to the striking workmen and a picture film of the emperor timed to fit the length of the speech was ordered from stock the royal voice was an actor by birth who had been trained to imitate his majesty's speech this man who specialised in the emperor's speeches to the workers prided himself that he was the best royal voice in Berlin. And I complimented him by telling him that I had been deceived by him the evening before. But considering that the workers, never having heard the emperor's real voice, would have no standard of comparison, I have never been able to see the necessity of the accuracy of his imitation, unless it was on the ground of art for art's sake. End of section thirteen